0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
2: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. There are some parts of the Rob Ford story that I still find difficult to believe. Even though I lived through it and worked on it and made this entire podcast about it. This episode contains one of those stories. In the fifth episode of The Gravy Train, Toronto and the whole world are abuzz with the news of Mayor Rob Ford's crack video, and the mayor is being watched by his own police force, a group of investigators that report directly to the chief in an investigation called Project Brazen, which is, given the behavior you're about to hear, just an absolutely perfect name. Enjoy episode five of the Gravy Train, Brazen.
3: Again,
4: to wow. Well, was...
0: well, good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity to address a number of issues that have circulated in the media over the last few days. There has been a serious accusation from the Toronto Star that I use crack cocaine. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. As for a video, I cannot comment on a video that I have never seen or does not exist. It is most unfortunate, very unfortunate, that my colleagues and the great people of this city have been exposed to the fact that I have been judged by the media without any evidence.
2: May 24th, 2013. More than a week after stories revealing the existence of a video showing Toronto's mayor smoking crack cocaine, that mayor stood in front of an official City of Toronto backdrop. Blue with the Toronto logo and the name of the city in white. Rob Ford wore a black suit, a white shirt, and a patterned tie. He was angry. He read the prepared statement that you just heard. He thanked his supporters for standing by him. They had. Not only did half the people in Toronto not believe the video was real, but Rob had actually gained support over the past week. His approval rating rose five points. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Gravy Train. Last time we talked, I told you about a photo, an infamous photo, of Rob in front of a house with three young men. One of them was named Anthony Smith, and he had just been murdered.
4: It sort of becomes this clue that we follow for a long time because we actually had a a reporter driving through the Etobicoke area looking for the house in the photo, which we now know is 15 Windsor, the central setting in this whole thing.
2: That's Jennifer Pagliaro. Today, she is a City Hall reporter with Rob's nemesis, the Toronto Star. In 2013, she was a crime reporter at the Star. and She was hunting the house and the photo so was every reporter and if a group of reporters hunt through one neighborhood for one specific house for long enough
4: they find it so Elena Johnson uh, lived at a house on 15 Windsor Road and she was a longtime family friend of the Fords. Uh, they were in a neighborhood um, not far from where the Ford family, and the Ford children, both Doug and Rob, had grown up.
2: Fabio Basso was Elena's brother and a childhood friend of Rob's. The house, 15 Windsor Road, like Jennifer said, is just a short drive from the Ford family home. It started to make sense that the mayor might indeed be seen outside that house. But even if that made sense, who was he with and why?
4: Yeah, the photo really touched off you know, in the absence of being able to see the video, this sort of firestorm about, like, who are these men and why was the mayor spending time with them and are they alleged, you know, drug dealers and, like, what do we know about these people?
2: Reporters from the Star, as well as Toronto Police, had identified one of the men in the photo as Anthony Smith, who, you might remember, had recently been killed in a downtown shooting. That was the shooting that you heard about in episode four. It inspired the dealer, who had the crack video, to try to sell it for money to get out of the game. But when it became widely known that the 21-year-old, who had been gunned down outside a nightclub in March, was the same guy with the mayor's arm draped around him, outside what people were calling a crack house. Well, that's the kind of stuff you don't walk into a job reporting on municipal politics, expecting to cover.
4: You can just imagine at the time, like City Hall reporters trying to cover this chaotic mayoralty and now someone's dead. And there's a photo of the mayor with this young man, you know, and and the Fords tried to brush it off as like, well, you know, we take photos with everyone. Anyone wants a photo with us, we'll pose with them.
0: I take pictures with everyone. So okay, uh, so let me I want to address this picture. OK,
5: OK. Sure. I just want to address one 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 comment about this picture, Rob, that that you don't know about. Or no one else has known up about i've been getting calls from some counselors too Mm -hmm. which i think this is this is absolutely disgusting and and racist Mm -hmm. that what is rob doing with his arms around two young black men that's i'm telling you that's that's a racist comment rob has taken thousands of pictures with young black men with their hats on with their little funny signs and and everything else but i think it's disgusting that you you would even come up with a comment why is he taking pictures of two young black youth and by the way they, you're accusing a, a, it's a okay. person that's 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 passed away of of allegations again he was a drug dealer you know when rob when rob takes a picture and there's no, thousands of people i have people, to ask him first you, know, you got to ask him have you have you ever smoked a joint have you ever done this <laughs> have you ever done that before i take a picture can i see your qualifications and your resume oh, that's so that's funny. just a racist comment
2: it's true Rob did take photos with everyone. But he didn't usually do it in front of strange houses in the middle of the night.
4: But the photo, I think, was sort of like the first indication that there was this whole other sort of life that the mayor was leading and living that the public didn't know about and we would soon get very detailed information about.
2: According to the police... Anthony Smith was a member of a street gang called the Dixon City Bloods. And to introduce a phrase that the public would soon hear many times as Ford's connection in this world were revealed, Anthony Smith was known to police.
4: In this case, several of these young men were arrested and eventually charged and convicted with drugs and guns offenses. So they were a uh, criminal operation in this Northwest part of the city.
2: The other two men, in the photograph with Rob, were also identified as members of the Dixon City Bloods. The Bloods are a gang, and they did a lot of their business out of a group of buildings that were known as the 300 Buildings in an area of Etobicoke, actually inside the ward that Rob had presided over for 10 years. These buildings and the people who live in them, in part because of gangs like the Bloods, are a part of Toronto that gets painted with a very broad brush. In the early 2010s, The city was grappling with rising gun violence. The police placed the blame for this on gangs like the Bloods, and they pointed their fingers at neighborhoods where they claimed the crime was localized. The message was implicit these neighborhoods were dirty. The crime was here, not elsewhere. They set up a task force and they launched an investigation, focusing on the area in general, but the Dixon City Bloods gang in particular. And then, in June of 2012, the investigation became even more urgent because there was a very public shooting that police would later link to gang activity right at the Eaton Centre, Toronto's most famous, most crowded mall in the heart of downtown. The Eaton Centre actually is just a block away from City Hall. And Rob was at the Eaton Centre to reopen it after the shooting. And when he did... He vowed that the city was declaring war on these violent gangs. So the police investigation, which was named Project Traveller, became an even higher priority. And I think it's actually one of maybe two official names of police investigations that the average person in Toronto would know. We will get to the second one in just a bit.
4: So... The reason why we all know what Project Traveler is is not because it was a particularly offensive uh, operation in terms of like the number of drugs or the number of guns or even the number of people that were arrested. It's that now we know that as police were investigating this group of young men, which included uh, active wiretaps on their cell phone communications, that they started to hear chatter about these young men hanging out with then-Mayor Rob Ford, and at certain points, providing him with drugs.
2: In the course of the investigation, police went to court and asked for and received permission to listen in and to record the phone calls made by several members of the Dixon City Bloods. These recordings were later entered into evidence in court.
3: What? Hello? Hello? Yes. Yeah, what's going on? He's here. Who? He's here. this? Rob. Who? Rob toward.:
2: That is a conversation between Elena Johnson, who goes by the nickname Princess and, as I mentioned, lives at 15 Windsor Road. The other person is Leban Syed, an alleged member of the Dixon City Bloods. Soon after he gets off the phone with Elena, Lebon receives a call from a friend. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Both pictures, Bradford from Choco.
2: You can probably guess what Choco is slang for. So later that night, Lebon heads to fifteen Windsor Road with another friend who goes by the nickname Juice Man. Later that same night. Rob Ford arrives at 15 Windsor with his friend and sometimes driver Sandro Lisi. Sandro and Rob were nearly inseparable. Sandro was nine years younger. The two men had been introduced by a football player from Don Bosco, who was helping Rob coach at the time. Sandro and Rob became really good friends. Jennifer Pegliero was struck by how members of the Dixon City Bloods referred to Lisi in conversations when they thought no one else was listening.
4: You know, he had sort of a, a striking demeanor. There's some interesting wiretaps where the young men in the Dixon Road complex referred him as the military guy. He had sort of a close-cropped haircut, uh, kind of lanky. Uh, he rarely spoke. I've actually almost rarely heard him speak words aloud.
6: He's a person who uh, is, as, the, as they say, in the vernacular, known to police. And he's known to police for some quite unsavory uh, issues. Kevin Donovan,
2: the investigative reporter from The Star, did extensive reporting into Sandra Lisi's past. I'm just going to read you a bit of what he found. Lisi had been charged at least six times with drug possession. In 1999, he was driving a car that critically injured a 76-year-old woman. She later died. Two men that the Star interviewed said Lisi carried around a vial of bed bugs. He told them he used it to threaten his enemies. In 2001, he was convicted of criminal harassment after a young woman he was interested in complained to police that Lisi was stalking her. He said, quote, "I'm going to break your legs, you fucking bitch," and quote, "As soon as you leave your building, a 45 gun is pointing at you." In 2002, now Lisi is 24. He stalked an 18-year-old student at a Toronto high school. He went into her class, made eye contact, and made a throat-cutting gesture with his hand. He also later punched the young woman in the eye. In 2007, assault, uttering death threats, criminal harassment, another former girlfriend who said Lisi was stalking her. He was alleged to have punched her while they were driving the car and threatened to throw acid in her face. You get the idea.
6: Rob had his own little world, and and Sandra Lisey was a big part of it. Sandra drove him around, and... uh, a person who you know, allegedly provided uh, Mayor Ford with, with drugs. And, and interestingly enough, uh, was the driver of the car uh, that took uh, Rob Ford to the Garrison Bowl. And that's who Sandra Lisi was in Rob Ford's life. He was a bit of a fixer, I think. Um, I think they were very close. And uh, I mean, they would often go to, uh, to sports games together. Uh, and uh, and they, they hung out a lot.
2: So Lisi and Rob, showed up at Elena Johnson's house at 15 Windsor Road. And they are partying with Lebon and his friend. At some point in the night, the friend, Juice Man, takes Rob's cell phone. And the next morning, Rob realizes that his phone is missing. He tells Lisey, and Lisey gets on the case. And Lisey calls Lebon.
3: Yeah, you met me yesterday, bro. You were drinking tequila with me. Yeah, what's up? What's up, bro? You guys grabbed uh, the mayor's phone last night no yeah I'm
0: honestly God, i never took my no phone
3: well you or your boy grabbed the phone bro we need it back i
0: never took my no phone on am
3: okay we got to figure this out bro rob's freaking out and he needs his phone you gotta call little... your boy right now and you gotta get that phone back hey bro all right give me a little bit i'm gonna, I'm gonna come back bro we need that phone asap eh? this is the air we're talking about eh? I know, I know, giving a little bit the- of Bro, you, you can put heat on all of this, and it's just If things don't go the way to spoke to go three, you know that, right?
2: According to Wiretaps, Lisey sets up an arrangement to get Rob's phone back. He'll get it from Juice Man in exchange for some weed. These exchanges between Lebon and Lisi and Elena are important because they mark the first time that the Toronto Police heard direct reference to Rob Ford doing drugs with gang members that they were investigating. this wiretap, one of the things Lisey says is that there will be heat on Dixon, meaning police attention. And that's the beginning of this whole case that eventually reveals the wiretaps.
4: Obviously, hearing the mayor's name over an active wiretap guns and drugs investigation is unprecedented in this city, and so what they did was try to start a separate investigation to get to the bottom of whatever it was.
2: This is the other investigation that most Torontonians could name. It was called Project Brazen 2, and it was focused entirely on the behavior of Mayor Rob Ford. The police launched it two days after the story about the crack video was published in Gawker and then the Toronto Star. And when they listened to the wiretaps, the police learned that members of the Dixon City Bloods were also reading... The newspaper.
3: Well, go to the TorontoStar.com. I can't. I don't have no internet. Why? You heard about that? No, what happened? It says that there's Somali junkies shopping around a video of the mayor. Shut the f up.
4: And, like, then the call ends. And they are panicking that suddenly now there is all this attention on their little community. And that they are being charged with having this video or that one of them has this video. And it's like a hot potato. Like, no one wants to be responsible.
2: You have to understand that all of this is happening at the exact same time. The city's media is going crazy over the fact that The Star is reporting the mayor smokes crack. The mayor and his family are denying that outright. They are claiming it's a complete lie that the star fabricated the story. This is also the exact time that the poll that I mentioned, the one that found half the city, believed the mayor and not the media, was in the field. And what none of these people knew, not the mayor, not his family, not the media, not the public, is that a police investigation into guns and gangs has now turned up wiretaps of gangsters talking about getting drugs for the mayor. So Bill Blair who is the chief of police, puts his top cops on the case to investigate the mayor secretly. One of them, in fact, was a man who would eventually replace Blair as the chief.
4: So we know that at the time, police chief Bill Blair assigned some of his most senior and experienced investigators to oversee the brazen investigation. Um, Now, police chief Mark Saunders was involved. He was a senior homicide detective at the time. He'd been on the force for a long time dealt with very complex investigations. Um, Chief Blair was known to see Saunders as someone who might eventually take his place. He had a lot of confidence in him, and so it went all the way up to Chief Blair. As you may imagine
2: from the fact that I am playing these wiretaps for you, all the recounting I'm doing of these events comes first from reporting by Jennifer and Kevin and others, even though it was doubted at the time. But it also comes from an agreed statement of facts in a criminal case in a court of law. The city's chief of police was overseeing a high-level investigation into the mayor's criminal connections and into his behavior. And part of that investigation, Project Brazen 2, involved traditional surveillance. When the mayor finished up at council for the day and he left his office and he walked out of City Hall, the cops were on him. They used helicopters, they used cars, and they used drones. They used it to tail the mayor.
4: You know, for example, they were in the uh, park behind Scarlet Woods High School, where the mayor used to go to high school. And they would leave, and they would see, like, something placed in the garbage bin. And then police would rush in and, like, go through the garbage bin and find, like, empty vodka bottles. They would see them go into the Esso station near Ford's house with envelopes that they didn't know what was inside of them. They were tracking them. They were using a police plane. They were, of course, um, surveilling private communications, cell phones. Uh, It was really an incredibly extensive uh, operation involving many police officers for quite a period of time.
2: Rob Ford's approval rating had increased since the crack story, like I mentioned. And perhaps because of this, or perhaps because he was an addict, His drinking and drug use did not slow down, while the whole town was talking, and the police were trailing him. If anything, he became more reckless. Over the summer of 2013, police documented nearly a dozen handoffs between Lisi and Ford. They would meet at Ford's child's soccer game, at an Esso gas station, at Ford's home, at the Douglas Ford Park, which was named after Rob's father, and most frequently. They met in the parking lot of Scarlet Heights High School, Rob's alma mater. This was all done during the course of Rob's work as mayor, like in the middle of the day. This is Canada's largest city. Things were happening, and the mayor was just off somewhere. On July 8th, for example, the city was hit with a horrible rainstorm. A month's worth of rain fell over a few hours. People were stranded on commuter trains and in their cars and in the subways. It was the largest rainfall the city has ever had. It was at the time the most expensive natural disaster in the history of the province of Ontario. Rob didn't address the situation that night. He didn't talk until the next morning. He said he'd spent the evening in his SUV with his kids while the storm hit, listening to the radio to get information. And then, a couple of days later, While the city was still cleaning up and trying to assess the scope of the damage, Lisi met with Rob at the Esso gas station near Rob's home. Lisi put a manila envelope in the passenger side of Ford's Cadillac while the mayor was inside at the gas station. The meeting was observed by surveillance officers and it was caught on the gas station's cameras. As all this was going on, Rob was being asked about the video and he was still totally and categorically denying it.
0: These allegations are ridiculous. It's another uh, story with um, respect to the Toronto Star going after me, and that's all, that's, that's all I've got to say for now. it's
2: not just the Star, sir, it's also
1: the Gothers. So the video is just it. made up? The video is just, um, just fake?
2: While Rob was publicly denying the existence of the video, Lisey was working behind the scenes to get the video back. On the afternoon that the crack video story was initially published, Rob called Lizy twice. Police records show heightened activity on Lisi's phone right after those stories were published. Lisey started calling his contacts from the Dixon area. And this would be the beginning of the case that I mentioned earlier that would eventually prove all this reporting to be true.
3: Hello? Hello, Kim. Yeah, The guy from uh, that city, remember? Uh, the phone?
2: One of the first calls Lizzie made was to one of the few contacts he had in the area, Liban Syed. He'd first called Liban when the mayor got his phone taken by a guy named Juice Man. Lizzie wanted any information he could get about who had the tape, about where the tape was, about if he
3: could get the tape back.
6: Hey, listen,
3: if you can get to the bottom of it, uh, you know, see what you can do. I'm not even in the studio. No, somebody's trying to put out a video, bro. Somebody's trying to put out a video of what? Of him. Huh? Of what? Of him,
2: of him. After that phone call, Liban calls Mohammed, the man who filmed the video of the mayor smoking crack. Liban is worried. He sounds a little panicked. He thinks that the frenzy around the Ford video will bring attention onto him. He says, "Yo, dog, the man's gonna bring feds to my house, bro. I don't want that to happen." Mohammed replies, "Me too," but adds, "There's no video. These guys are not gonna get no video."
3: Could yeah,
2: the moving my house, was worried because Lizzy was threatening to put pressure on everyone in the area. He was threatening to use the mayor's resources to direct police attention to the Dixon City Bloods and the buildings where they lived.
3: Hello? Yo, Tim, you see the heat, bro? Huh? Who's this? You see the heat on Dixon, bro? What, what it's happened? Gonna, it's gonna get it worse, bro. It's gonna, it's gonna Tell all your boys it's gonna get worse and worse. Hey, 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 I'm not involved, buddy. I'm not involved bro. I'm just telling you tell your boys a message, eh? The whole thing is gonna get heated up. I'm yeah, no, no. Listen, listen, so, hey, please, no, please, no, please, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not involved in this. Eh? I'm just telling you, put the message up to your people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, All right. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Talk All right. It. All right. It. All it.
2: While the Project Brazen team was listening to these calls and putting together evidence against the mayor, there was still another police investigation happening. Project Traveler which was aimed at guns and gangs in general, and the Dixon City Bloods in particular. And on June 13th, they launched a series of pre-dawn raids on the Dixon 300 apartment complex. Robin Doolittle was staked out there with another reporter from the Star to watch the raids. From the car, they both have a clear view of the circular drive that surrounds the buildings. Here's Robin.
1: And all of a sudden, this circular road is just filled with moving trucks that kind of come out of nowhere. They just, they're all going fast. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. And there's just, I don't know, dozens of them, it feels like. And then all at once, the backs of these trucks fly open. And cops in full riot gear come marching out like ants. Like, just more police than I've ever seen in my life. And I covered the G20. And they just, like ants, kind of like, come out of these trucks and start walking very briskly into these housing units and they're going up into the apartments and then suddenly you start seeing huge flash flashes coming from the apartments. I think they're called flash bangs, but they basically like they bust open a door with a battering ram. They throw in this, I guess, tiny little explosive device that makes a huge bang and lets off a huge amount of light and it's supposed to disorient the people inside. And you just start seeing them because it's really dark outside. You start seeing different apartments light up and people starting to scream and yell. And um, then we start seeing people kind of one by one be brought out in, I don't know if they were in handcuffs, they're probably in like ties around behind their back, being led into different cruisers being arrested. And and the sun is kind of starting to come up a little bit. But um, yeah, it it was crazy.
2: During that raid, the police arrested several members of the Dixon City Bloods. And they confiscated evidence, including laptops and cellular phones. And they started looking through the files on those laptops.
3: As a result of the evidence that was seized on June 13th at the conclusion of Project Traveler, a number of electronic devices, computers, telephones, and hard drives were seized. And all of the devices that had been seized have been subject to forensic review and examination by members of the Toronto Police Service Intelligence Unit Computer Technology Section.
2: That was Toronto Police Chief Bill Blair. It was October 31st, 2013. Nearly four months after the Project Traveller raids, after a whole summer of denials and brazen behaviour, Toronto Police confirmed what members of the media already knew.
3: On October the 29th, on Tuesday of this week, we received information from our computer technology section that in the examination of a hard drive that had been seized on June 13th, they were able to identify a number of files that had been deleted and that they were able to recover those files. As a result, I have been advised that we are now in possession of a recovered digital video file relevant to the investigations that have been conducted. That file contains video images, which appear to be uh, those images which were previously reported into the, in the press. Uh, respect to, with respect to uh, events that took place, uh, we believe, at a house on Windsor Road in Etobicoke. That information has been turned over to one
2: investigation. He's talking about the crack video. Rob responded to the chief's public comments on his public radio show.
0: I've been thinking for a long time on what I'm going to say today. And first of all, um, I believe that uh, this video, I want the police chief, Bill Blair, to release this video for every single person in the city to see. That is the right thing to do, and Chief, I'm asking you to release this video now. Whatever this video shows, whatever this video shows, folks, Toronto residents deserve to see it, and people need to judge for themselves what they see on this video Friends, I'm the first one to admit, I am not perfect. I have made mistakes. I have made mistakes, and all I can do right now is apologize for the mistakes. This
2: was a really smart move. Rob knew that the police were unable to release the video. It was evidence in an ongoing criminal case. As a result of the Dixon raids, Several members of the Dixon City Bloods were arrested and charged with drugs and gun offenses. Sandro Lisi was charged with extortion for attempts to retrieve the crack video. And that case, by the way, is where all of these wiretaps come from. Here's Jennifer again.
4: In terms of arrest, that was largely the extent of it. You know, Mayor Ford was never criminally charged, he never testified. Uh, at all in any of the uh, proceedings that were part of this whole saga. Um, And for the most part, the only people who were ever charged and convicted as part of this whole thing were several young men from this Dixon Road community who had spent time with the mayor.
2: Jennifer began on that story as a crime reporter. She covered it for years as it went through the courts. And in that time, the Toronto Star, along with other publications in the city, fought to be able to publish what was happening in those court cases. And finally, three years after police announced they had the video, Jennifer attended the trial of Sandro Lisi, which had finally made its way to the courtroom.
4: But I think the most surreal moment in all of this was actually years after these Project Traveler raids One of the main characters in this Rob Ford saga, uh, Sandra Lisi, was facing criminal charges. And as part of that case, the Crown prosecution presented the crack video as evidence in open court. So if you can imagine, I'm sitting in a second floor courtroom at Old City Hall, which is right next to City Hall. You can almost see City Hall at the window. And because it was a preliminary hearing, it's all off the record. Like, it's all protected information. And it's me, a few other reporters, and a very well-timed field trip of journalism students. When I arrived in the courtroom, I saw that there was a flat-screen TV set up. The police had put together this incredibly long PowerPoint presentation. And they got to a slide, and the slide just said, video of Robert Ford. And I was like, holy crap, this is going to happen in this courtroom. And it had been years since we learned of this crack video. And the judge said, okay, play the video. And, like, we all watched this 70-second clip together, the, like, two dozen of us in this courtroom. Uh, and it would take another year for that video to be made public at the conclusion of that proceeding. But some of those very strange moments, you know, watching a video of the former mayor... Smoking crack in a courtroom next to City Hall with a bunch of journalism students was pretty weird.
2: The basis for the extortion charges against Lisey were the wiretaps, that you heard, in which he threatens to bring the heat, meaning the police, on the Dixon complex. Lebon, the man on the other end of those calls, eventually testified at Lisey's preliminary hearing
4: and was largely uncooperative, refused to say really what he thought heat actually meant, and in some ways the case sort of fell apart on that point. Because of that,
2: the Crown dropped the extortion charges against Sandro Lisi, meaning that after all these years, the City of Toronto finally saw their mayor with a crack pipe in his hand, shaking in his seat, mumbling unintelligibly. And yes, just like Robin and Kevin had said right away, the video was well framed. It was crystal clear, and it was unmistakable. It was the mayor of Toronto smoking crack.
4: That's why he wants to be involved
0: in everything. No, no, he no, he wants God. to fight everybody's battles, and, no, and it's, it's going to kill. You know? Excuse me, kill you. you, know, kill fucking, you know? Don't do it's, it. Your, kids, your so kids, kids, kids kids are important
4: to you. That's that's, yeah, you know, that's what drives you, baby. That's what I love. That's, no, that's I why we love you.
0: Together, Okay. No, I don't know. Your children, your family, your kids. Your, days, your, your kids, your fucking footballers. Your kids kids play football. That's, that that's what drives you. Family, Fuckers kids, driving the minority and your fucking. I'm right wing. Right. I fucking take these kids on my. You're own. right wing. No, they say I'm just right wing. Oh yeah. Radical right oh, yeah, fucking yeah, guy. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. What sure.
2: oh, yeah. 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 right the fuck is the liberals then? I'm
0: Man, that little, ass there's right,
2: there's right there. I like, to, I like to get that fucking Justin Trudeau and shove my foot as far up his ass because I'm sure it goes real far. I'm sure my fucking will tickle his fucking nose hairs with my foot up his ass because
0: he's such a fucking shit. Digger, man. I hate Trudeau, man. He's just a fucking bullshit.
2: It would take years, until 2016, for the public to actually see the tape. But even in 2013, the investigation that found the video took almost six months from the first report of the video's existence to the Halloween press conference when the chief confirmed that the police had it. It took 168 days, and every single one of those days was a circus. You know the way the news cycle moves now? with a new scandal or a tragedy or a crime or an accusation every four hours so your muscles never unclench and your nerves never stop firing. The way that we allow the last insane thing to make no impact because there's already a new insane thing to talk about. This was our first taste of that. This is where it came from. It was a five and a half month glimpse into our world today. That's next time on The Gravy Train.
1: It amped up to circus levels.
0: Probably in one of my drunken stupors. And his excuse for smoking crack is he
2: was drunk. Rob Ford admitted he was not perfect, but refused to step down.
3: Toronto, Rob Ford, uh-huh. замеченный в употреблении наркотиков.
0: Ford, you're smoking crack right now. Where are you getting this? You'd be surprised how fast I get moved. <laughs> ah, f- hmm? Holy Christ. If you think American-style politics is nasty, you guys have just attacked Kuwait.
2: I'm Jordan heath Rollins, the host and writer of The Gravy Train. Annalisa Nielsen and Stephanie Phillips are producers and editors, and they stitch this whole thing together. Ryan Clark is also a producer, and he mixes and masters this entire podcast. Claire Broussard and Amal Delich provided editorial guidance along the way, Rob Purchase and Daniela Gian helped with our archival sourcing. The Toronto Star for this episode in particular contributed reporting and also contributed the recordings of those wiretaps that you heard. They fought for them in court. Lucas Ionetta and Matthew Morrow were our production assistants. And The Gravy Train is part of Frequency Podcast Network and you can find it. And The Big Story, that's my other podcast. And all of the brother and sister podcasts that make up this wonderful network at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. Curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.